0: Throughout the year, I attend tech conferences that allow me a bird's eye view into what some of the smartest teams around the world are building and bringing to market. I'm just recently returned from CES 2024, and if you saw my previous video on the Black Futurist YouTube channel, you saw what I consider to be my best in show moments. I thought you'd also benefit from hearing from some of my colleagues, the people that I attend these shows with and work alongside, who I also learn a lot from when I listen to their perspective, which might be slightly different than mine. So I asked three of them to come on today to talk about what their best in show moments were while attending CES 2024. That's Sarah Ivey, Tim Hanlon, and Dr. Brad Behrens. Now, Sarah is the chief strategy officer at Harvest Media Group. Tim is a media industry consultant and the founder of the Vertair Group. And Brad is a innovation and digital transformation expert and a prolific sci-fi writer. I hope you enjoy what they have to say, and I'd love to hear what you think. I'm Brendan Moore. Welcome to the Black Futurist Podcast. <laughs> the Black Futurist. That's one small step for man. <laughs> okay. Sarah. What did you see at CES this year that was memorable that you woke up talking about after you got back home?
1: You know, a lot of people talk about the technology. It actually was a really big change for me in terms of how the show runs. So two things that leapt out to me, and we can, we can go back and forth on, on them, is that what I did see a lot of is cross-technology collaboration in a way that we haven't seen before. So I think there's a gradual acceptance across the industry that if you'd invent a device, it's way more powerful if it's plugged into an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So they weren't just sort of APIs that could talk to each other. They were full on sort of um, code development. I mean, the, the Afila car is a really good example, but it's slow to come to market. and It's going to be really expensive. It's gorgeous, but it's going to be really expensive. But there were even side conversations that we didn't necessarily see on the floor. So, one of the interesting things that really struck me was um, Noom, the weight loss application. You know, they've always specialized in, in cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest news in, in dieting is Ozempic, right? So, they've actually figured out how to partner with Ozempic so actually their interfaces work better together. Now, those are completely different technologies, but that for me captures the spirit of collaboration that's We've seen it develop, but I feel like in this show, it really sort of leapt over where it was before. So right. that was the part that really got me excited.
0: Nice. Story that you don't know. Or maybe maybe I did tell you, I was preparing for a tour on the implications of AI. and. Yeah. I sat at the conference room table and I had about 10 minutes. People were showing up a half hour early. I don't know why, but I closed my eyes just to like, just get centered. And I feel this tap on my arm. This guy sitting next to me now. So I open my eyes and I said, Hey, he goes, I just want you to know you got your work cut out for you. I said, what? He goes, I did the digital health tour this morning with Sarah. You got your work cut out for you. She was excellent. Oh, <laughs> That's great. Oh,
1: That's wonderful. It's so interesting. Affirmation. <laughs> Well, listen, that was a tough tour to give the AI tour because it's like touring peanut butter, you know, like AI <laughs> was all over everything. You really couldn't tell it was real peanut butter or soy based peanut butter. It was just like it was all over everything. And right. you really had to dig to see whether it was actually real.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was tough, but it made for yeah. a good conversation. One of the things that I did on my AI tour was let them know in advance that, look, we're at theory now. and We're going to hypothesize when this is done. So mm-hmm. I don't know anything. Let's go find out and let's parse yeah. good from bad or like exist yeah. versus doesn't exist and see what's out yeah. there. Yeah. Was there anything in digital health that jumps out to you there that was like, this is so important. I should go home and tell my best friend about it.
1: Quite a few. I, I do have a best in show, but I, I think you heard me wax poetic about blue sky AI mm-hmm. because it's good, strong academic facial recognition research that they first applied to driving technology. But every time we visited their booth, we found out about a new clinical trial. So just imagine a world in which your facial expressions can help you manage all kinds of things, whether that's driving distraction and drowsiness, but whether or not you're gonna have a diabetic reaction, Mm -hmm. whether or not your autistic teenager is about to have an episode or is feeling really, no, their autism study is fascinating. Their diabetic study is fascinating. Um, They started off with helping diagnose pregnancy mood swings, right? So the ability of facial recognition applied to like what I kept on (laughs) as I gave more tours, I started to realize, well, we'll see this all over everything next year because people, so many people have been in that booth and they're going to say, I figured out a way to do it. Again, that's the collaboration piece is that Blue Sky was there to find partners, right? Mm. The floor was full of partners. Can you imagine Abbott being able to apply that to their glucose monitoring that they unveiled at the show, right? right? and applied to the insulin pump, applied to your phone. You know, there's so many things that that could be a foundational technology for. And that was so exciting. That That is
0: cool. And in contrast, if I think about years before, especially with technologies that were so prevalent, like LIDAR years ago, like there was 12, 15 LIDAR providers all competing to be the one in the space, but they all have the same technology, yeah. which is competition. You're saying collaboration was the drum that was beating this year. Absolutely. And I love that.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's yeah. fantastic.
1: Yeah.
0: What else? Did yeah. you, I know you were excited about the early cervical cancer detection. You want to talk about oh, that?
1: The only frustrating thing about that is that it's based on the ability to access public health system data so So everywhere else in the world (laughs) except the us which is terrible right but just the ability to have that access to a a very large data model and to be able to model out outcomes and understand markers i mean any country in which you have that Mm -hmm. you can think of a thousand things to do with it right so once ai is able to process that very very large amount of data then the speed to market of something like cervical cancer detection just being able to put that in the hands of a gp it takes weeks off the diagnosis. So just, just for our listeners, what it is, it was developed in Korea and it's basically a photographic technique that basically takes a picture of the um, outside of the cervix and measures a particular acid. And from that, they're able to detect whether it's stage one, stage two, stage three, or clear. Right. And the ability to do that instantly without having to go through the rigmarole of swabs and going through an oncologist and stuff like that, it's just, it's going to have a huge impact on outcomes. So, I mean, Brendan, I was excited about everything that was on my tours. So. <laughs> well, maybe not the sperm testing, but you know, I'm, I'm not the right crowd for that. But anyway.
0: Right. There's a question I've been asking, and it comes up in different verticals. If there is a wild, wild west right now in terms of, spending, meaning, um, you know, when we talk about wild, wild west phenomena in terms of investing, we're like, these are the areas in which currently ROI is not even an issue. It's, this is, the, we have to dump this amount of resources into the chasm so that we can drive over it and we'll worry about ROI later. Where would you say we're seeing wild, wild west type tendencies?
1: Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, it is around artificial intelligence, but different aspects of it. So um, everyone doesn't know what they need to know around generative AI and the ability to figure out how to apply it is farther away than ever, but there's that still that sense it's FOMO, but it's FOMO with an extra scoop of risk on top because there's a sense that if we don't understand it, we can't plan for it, we're missing opportunities. So that's where we see a lot of spending. The other place that I think is sort of counterbalancing that is in AI compliance. Transparency issues, privacy right. issues, creativity, you know, license issues and stuff like mm-hmm. that, that correspondingly is rising at the same rate. So that was the sort of underpinnings of a lot of the conversation. Everyone's oh, it's all about artificial intelligence. Chat GPT and generative AI wasn't really at the show, other than in buttons, right? But it's a massive iceberg underneath the surface that everyone's mm-hmm. trying to grapple with. Gotcha. I don't know whether you agree.
0: No, I agree. And it's good for ChatGPT that they have become synonymous with generative AI when yeah, they are it, just one yeah, just particular one. provider of I mean, right, I mean, language.
1: It, it's happening with music, right? It, it'll be interesting to see what happens at different shows like um, South By will be also very interesting because that will be exploring creativity and the licensing of creativity. And, of course, South By is, of course, a music festival. The musical applications in generative AI and music production – there's hundreds of them now, and it just gives me the holy willies. Anyway,
0: <laughs> did you see anything in either screens or in the mixed reality space that you took home and said, "I need to keep a pin in this and track this as it
1: grows"? So, the Luxottica booth, I th- think, actually had two of the most important things in the show, right? Mm-hmm no one was talking about that no one was talking about the metaverse of the show except the metaverse classes were actually pretty significant in terms of being able to open up that door for people who don't want to walk around with a huge headset on their heads right right so i actually thought that was really interesting from uh the metaverse is not going away it's just not as big a hype and it's always been uh, there's a level of, of inaccessibility, so the things that didn't require a headset were becoming more important, but at the same time, headset does give you that sensory experience that you just can't get from other applications. So anyway, I thought that was important because it's. I think it's going to bring down the price and make it more accessible and also yeah. cooler.
0: Yeah, And you bring up Lexotica, which was one of my best in show. It's actually one of the most important things that I saw there because of the correlation between brain function and, and hearing yeah. loss that makes that device, that hearing assistance in those glasses and invisible hearing assistance, just to me, one of the most important things for families. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. I loved it. I thought it was great. I didn't like the battery life. The battery life is only eight hours and then you yeah. got to recharge. But that's the same kind of like the Apple watch battery is like less than it should be, right? Compared yeah. to like every other watch you own.
1: Yeah, well, for version one, that's actually pretty decent. You
0: know, will yeah. work
1: mm-hmm. on that for version two,
0: yeah. Right. In terms of landslide moments, meaning, you know, we may see iterative approaches to a problem, and then you finally come to one show and you see, oh, they finally got it together. I think one example that I saw was LG's commercial use of the transparent screen.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we've seen, like, the pieces showing up years before. Mm-hmm. So based on everything you saw on the show this year, if you were to guess forward to next year, where do you think we may see some surprising fast forward developments?
1: So let me let me talk about what I expected to see and what I didn't see. Mm-hmm. I expected to see a whole lot more sustainability. It was not there. It was an undercurrent, right? But there weren't really hard applications in terms of sustainability. So it'll, it'll go one of two ways next year. I mean, this year was the year of AI, right? Yep. Next year we will see um, generative AI, as a landslide moment in terms of things being able to be incorporated. I mean, this year it was bolt-on. There's like from a product development cycle, that's as good as they can get in terms of just sticking something on and then just putting it to market, right? right. But we we'll see more thoughtful incorporations of, of generative AI. Mm-hmm. But what I'm really hoping to see next year is a huge swing towards sustainability. This is something that as, you know, when you look at a world full of gadgets that are all made out of rare earth materials, right? Let's. <laughs> yeah break it down we have to face this and with what's happening on the planet right now i don't know how we can't talk about it so what that's what i'm really hoping to see it swing next year there were some bubbling under like the wonderful sort of see-through solar panels right Mm -hmm. they're beautiful and right. they're super, super good. So there's some great stuff there. But right. the SK booth was sort of a, a masterpiece and irony because that was not a story about sustainability. I was,
0: was gonna bring up SK, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I said that was like their whole headline was sustainability. And then they brought <laughs> they brought <laughs> all the plastics.
1: <laughs> they brought all the plastics, all the dyes, all the colors, all the electricity. Yeah. And like, I think we missed the brief on this one. Yep, mm. definitely, so. Good. And that's that's my hope for next year.
0: Sarah, thanks so much. Super helpful and and always I don't see you enough. To see you once a year at one conference is not enough. So, you're welcome back on the show anytime you want to talk about anything and I'd love to have you back.
1: Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Brendan. What did
0: you see at CES Tim that it, like when you woke up in the morning a couple of days later you woke up thinking about that was pretty cool. What what were a couple of the key hits for you?
2: I think the um so to me it's a balance of like brand new things that are sort of like surprising and unexpected blended with the incremental, right? Mm -hmm. So incremental is kind of the baseboard uh, of this show, right? Where we see things that are a little bit of the future, a little bit more of the future, the next year is a little bit more of the future. And then we get to some point where it's actually true product, true marketplace, true, Something that's flowering into something real and substantial. Let's start with that first. So for example, walking on the floor, Hisense, right, which is a big Chinese CE manufacturer, one of the largest now TV manufacturers with previously multiple TV operating systems and now their own called Vidye.
0: Yep.
2: Um, So welcome to the mix of now nine or 10 operating systems for TV streaming. but uh, Hisense, like a lot of the big electronics manufacturers, like the LGs and the Sonys and the, and the Samsungs of the world, are very much involved in lots of different things and lots of different iterations of things. The thing that struck me uh, at the Hisense booth, among many other, others, was their Art TV setup, which, if you remember, Samsung about five years ago uh, debuted something called a Frame TV. Right. And what that is to most people who know now is essentially a uh, high quality, high pixelated imagery centric screen that not only operates as a really good high-end television set, but also when not used for television uh, can essentially replicate a piece of art, right? Right. Or a series of pieces of art. Um, I think Samsung, Uh, sort of created the market for it. But if you saw the multiple versions that now Hisense offers, right, um, just tremendously stylish, very high quality, and numerous versions of. Um, That to me is a really good example of something that was an idea from one, mostly company, a number of years ago, and now has essentially become mainstream, if you will, uh imitation being arguably the highest form of flattery certainly consumer electronics uh with a whole suite of offerings from a competitive consumer electronics company so that to me is like of the new stuff the brand new stuff i mean nothing really surprises me but you know the translucent transparent tv screen that one saw when walking into the lg booth um i don't know how new that is i think that's always sort of been nibbling at the edges of the future but i think the way that it gets now presented into the marketplace, right? It's not available for sale yet. There's no price for it. But the ability to see something, see through it, a screen, yet literally have the ability to have programming on that screen and then manipulate it either way uh, is is a pretty interesting breakthrough. And not just for television, but I think actually for things like uh, in-store, place-based media, uh, out-of-home media, that kind of stuff. So to me, from a television and media perspective, and that's sort of where my heritage is, those things kind of, struck me as being pretty impressive and arguably real.
0: You know what I didn't see in that transparent television was any integration where they're using a camera. Because it strikes me that you could now make the argument that this will be another platform for mixed reality. If it knows what's behind it or in front of it, and it can react to either movement or objects, then is it a replacement for holding your phone up and looking at Mixed reality.
2: Sure. And and, then, you know, to extend that, right, the augmented and virtual reality kinds of things, right, uh, in the CES realm, to me, was still very much, a you know, a a, a cordoned off area uh, of small companies. Um, It felt like it was slowly, incrementally getting better or more interesting. Um, The one thing that struck me was that the idea of goggles versus, you know, glass lenses to even things That are just more sensors and just reliant more upon, say, one's gestures. Right. Um, that seemed to be coming a bit more mature. And I think, you know, the next sort of salvo in this evolution is going to be Apple's launch of their, what, $3,800 set of goggles. Might be the high end opportunity uh, or the, uh, the jolt, I guess, of the market could use. But, you know, we saw plenty of uh, lesser priced alternatives, uh, both on the full goggles headset thing to, I think, a, a pretty strong number of firms uh, all trying to figure out their way through what a more stylish you know, uh, eyeglass lens approach might look like, right? Um, I really saw some movement in trying to add style and uh, fashion, if you will, to the process. And obviously, that's a tension between engineers and technology and stuff that people actually would not mind being caught wearing on the streets of Manhattan, let's say right um and how you balance functionality with fashion and or design to make that kind of stuff happen again going back to the uh, uh, the art TV thing right there's technology and design finally coming together I think that actually is a dual tension that I always look for at this kind of a show I think it over indexes and, and logically so around engineering technology possibilities right um, but what o- often lacks is, Refined product design, or yeah. or fashion, or incorporating the real world, if you will, into it. And arguably, that's not what the show is about, but it kind of is, right? Because it has consumer embedded in its name. But look, embedded in its name, right, is also the name show, right? Right. And as I said to my tours, you know, forty to fifty percent of what you see on the uh, on the floor is BS, right? It's not real, <laughs> and it's it's designed not to be real because these are ideas, aspirations, you know, looking for uh, a way into reality in, in a business model or models, and some make it and some don't. that's kind of the fun and the confusion, I guess, around the show every year.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts on Apple's offering versus Xreal in terms of the virtual reality interface device?
2: Look, I don't, I'm not sold on the whole augmented reality thing completely, right? Uh, to me, it's the ultimate removal from from the real world, right? I'm I'm opting out of the real world and I'm gonna immerse myself in something. And I'm not saying there aren't great opportunities and possibilities with that, right? I mean, the ability to virtually travel when one can't afford to actually physically travel or to be immersed in another environment that's in another part of the world that allows for multiple participation, like a conference, like a Davos of digital or something like that. I, I think those are educational purposes, same thing. Um, I'm high on all those scenarios, right? What I don't sort of grok onto is sort of the, uh, let me ditch the real world and just like go into complete fantasy land. Yeah. Fine. I I see that as entertainment and I see there are opportunities for that too, but I I don't get as excited about that. Where I do get more excited about, this will answer your question, is the mixing of the real and the virtual, right? right? So to me, that sort of augmented reality thing, just simply improving one's life on a day-to-day basis, right? So if I'm wearing a pair of glasses that are somewhat stylish, that might adjust with the sun, with the lens, like why I would buy lenses in the first place or sunglasses, but then also allows me to overlay some virtualness or virtuality to the real world, like I am walking in Manhattan. I just came up from the subway, and I'm not quite sure exactly where I am. And, you know, Google Map is okay, but it doesn't I have to still take time to adjust to that. I, when I have glasses on, not to the awareness of anybody because they are fashionable and they look like, God forbid, glasses, Yeah. Um, I can actually see what the building is or what's behind that building, so to speak, or the areas that I'm looking for to go towards navigationally. Or maybe I do stumble across a street sign that says, Cousin Brucey Way, right? Cousin Brucey, who's that? Well, he's a longtime DJ in the New York City area and yeah. legendary. He's got one of those. New York City street names after him, right? So uh, there's a little story there, and that could be fun for a second or two, right? So to me, that feels more realistic, more valuable, more uh, consumer friendly, more of a solution. So, I mean, look, uh, Apple is historically really good at creating a high-end product for a particular problem issue something, right? The iPhone being perhaps the best example, right? Phones were a thing before the iPhone came, but they refined it, right? Right. And as you know, Apple has always been a hallmark of fashion and design and elegance in that regard. Sometimes that's what it takes to get things over to that next level. So I think, you know, any of these uh, uh, companies that are in the lens business or in the goggles business, they're all probably really good and they're getting better technically. Uh, To me, I look for the design and the price point that makes it sort of worth it. $3,800 price point does not seem mass market to me.
0: Right. Let's talk about commerce and all this. You come from a world uh, and an expertise in broadcast and advertising. Let's talk about what integration and, and
2: interior design, as you can see in my <laughs> my office, that's a, a mess right now. But there you go.
0: What What do you see, and what do you I, what do you imagine we may see in terms of integrations into people's lives via the new technologies that we're seeing?
2: Yeah, I, in some respects, I think some of it's old stuff. Kind of just baked into new, right? So you look at streaming advertising right now. Um, depending on uh, the industry reports and stuff, the the idea of interactivity, right, is something that is you know for people like me is just like okay, I roll city, because we've seen so many attempts to bring interactive push button technology, squeeze the screen, all these kinds of things. Connect it with the device, you know, I'm follow little, let go fo- follow through. Um, however, I do think that's something very simple that was. Um, howled at creatively 10 years ago is actually becoming a very easy on-ramp to enabling television video streaming to a device or follow-through. And that's the QR code, right? Right. I can tell you stories about the creative directors who you know were aghast at having that ugly little swatch on whatever they were finally producing. But I got to tell you, it's a very easy, elegant, and uh, consumer-friendly way to bridge... Uh, I like to call it dimensionalization, right? The ability to take, uh, and this this guidance of my early stage startup investments when I was back in the agency holding company space with a ventures uh, arm or two, um, the idea of, of being able to go further with something should you want to, right? Now, a QR code certainly appears garish, right? In a creative 16 by nine ad environment, right? But yep. if you're interested to have that visual cue that it's there and available to you, um, I think is a very convenient on-ramp. I think over time, it could probably elevate to an, a, an assumption that whatever is there. Maybe it's just simply taking a shot of the actual screen itself with the screen recognized. Right? I think the elegance really matters uh, and the availability of that to the average consumer really matters. And I think that's kind of an interesting solve for a problem right when somebody's interested in something instead of writing it down or remembering a, a URL code or a phone number right, right. Uh, the ability to kind of push a something that's there in a, in a phone env- environment seems to be really and I think you'll see a lot more of that whether you like it or not and I think you'll see some creative uh, fun with the with barcodes as well and maybe some evolutions of barcodes into something a little bit more creatively friendly um, yep. but that's to me is a nice connective tissue there. And by the way, that helps from a measurement perspective and uh, an outcomes perspective, right? When marketers are trying to assume something's working or not.
0: Yeah. On that note, I went to Xreal and there was the main kind of forward-facing display. And then if you went behind, you could make an appointment and go to the back rooms where you get a, a more robust experience. And I got to speak to the manager of that place. He showed me these three I don't even know how to explain them, except they look like QR codes, multicolor QR codes, but they had a floating magnet embedded in each one. So you can do position one, position two, position three, by just sliding an element inside the QR code, you could rotate one. There was an arrow and you go to multiple positions. And each time you altered the position of one of those QR codes, a different result was triggered inside the virtual environment in this case, because you put on their glasses and say, well, I can toggle this magnet up or or down. That gives me a different QR code and it gives me a different digital element inside. So the QR code I think is exactly right. And I think it has to be accepted across the board, but I think that we're already seeing use beyond it where that should be kind of passe and, and like everybody should adopt it because this other recognition technology is already here and can be used And allow the scanner some options as to where their final destination is. Pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Look, I I think what you're also describing is uh, the variability of that, right? So, like, if you're doing a QR code, right, one has to create many multiple versions of that, maybe even thousands, depending on how many creative units are going out there, right? Just as a simple exercise to see, okay, who clicked on or around one particular ad where it ran, right? Yeah. Um, that's also not creatively viable, right? From a production perspective, right? To create 10,000 separate QR codes, right? So there's probably a next generation variability, some of which you just maybe described as, as a way to do that, uh, where it's maybe a, an on-demand kind of uh, production code of some sort, or something that does vary by when time stamped or whatever. Um, so I think that's probably the next generation, especially if people get comfortable with it, right? So I, to me, it's just, regardless, it's a very, dumbed down, if you will, simple way to offer a bridge to further information should people be interested. And I think that it kind of feels like it's going to be more ready for that. And again, whatever the glass is, whatever the the recognition is, could be a glass, could be a a phone or whatever, um, just seems to me kind of has to be part of the future of commerce.
0: We see when we go multiple years to these conferences, as, we, as you described earlier, we see kind of these iterations and then we might see a watershed moment. If you could forecast forward to what we might see next year based on what we're seeing now, what do you expect to see or what would be a nice surprise?
2: So look, i am come from the content and advertising and programming side of things, right? So that's kind of my bias and my expectation, right? So so will there be other things from outside that that lens, no question. But I think the breakthrough I'm looking for very shortly is uh and it's already starting to happen a little bit around the edges is streaming personalization in particular around live events and, and, and specifically sports mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea where i'm watching the game the game is available to me um through legitimate means and i have also through legitimate means uh, the ability to customize the audio customize The video offerings i'm seeing uh alt casts uh being able to share the uh the event uh with my friends in sort of a group chat kind of setting or or a watch party environment um and i think frankly the thing that hastens it is not commerce and is not necessarily connectivity with other other people viewing the same time but betting right the ability to allow things like prop bets and uh whatever burns you're throwing at your friends who missed a prop bet or whatever it is um and all that data that comes with it right assuming the latency issue is solved right because that matters but i think the the damn bursts when one of the major gambling players offers an app that incorporates not only their betting features but also live streams uh of the matches of the games that they cover that 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 they have rights for um and that enables basically it becomes two and one right it becomes the ultimate interactive um portable viewing experience for the game right how much you want to interact with it how or how little depends on what you want to do do you want to cast it and lean back completely or do you want to go deep into it uh and the actual gambling uh, betting component for those who choose to do that too. That to me just seems like too big of an opportunity for the business side of it to not happen. And I think that's what ESPN plus evolves to given now that ESPN bet exists. Uh, I think the fusion of programming and betting uh, will be a, a win for consumers from who want to personalize their experiences, whether they bet or not. That's I like my it.
0: guess. It definitely does seem like the vehicle for spending to allow a lot of different options to be created for sure. That actually leads to my question. You may have answered it already. My question to you was, what or where is the current wild, wild west in terms of tech spending?
2: You know, I think everybody's falling all over each other to define and operationalize what AR is. Excuse me, not mm-hmm. AR, AI. Get your, get your- uh, get <laughs> Acronyms, your, right? <laughs> get your acronyms correct, Tim. Gee whiz. Um, You know, Artificial intelligence, right, is such a, uh, I think it's already overhyped, and I think it's already misused, and I think it's already genericized a whole bunch of different techniques and technologies and stuff. Um, But I honestly believe this show, as a branding exercise, right, made AI an elemental thing to not only be aware of, but to figure out how to bring into all facets of business and by extension, life. So in the consumer electronics realm or the byproducts of that in video production or just content production or consumption and the processes of all that kind of stuff commercials and and, and programming and distribution all those kinds of things the question really becomes where does ai and the various processes that fit under that umbrella uh make things better faster cheaper right so the qr code may be indeed one of those ways right instead of manually creating, if you will, 10,000 separate codes, is there a push button that allows, va- you know, gentle variations of one that makes that process less expensive and more easily achieved. I think I think the manner by which audio and video come together, including text, text to speech and those kinds of things, I, I you know, uh, that all said, right, I think everybody's in a chase to sort of find the, the bright, shiny objects that, that, that do those kinds of things where i worry is where things like channel 1 news which is rumored to be launching at some time in the next 3 or 4 months which is for those who don't know is a streaming news channel uh, channel 1 news used to be known as it was something else in a different company environment this is a brand new channel 1 um, company that literally is going to be delivering quote unquote live newscasts in fully AI-generated forms, right, including right down to the on-air personalities, uh, the voices, which will be multilingual, uh, and even the remote reporting uh, from the scene will uh, include elements of AI-generated and/or voice-synthesized and amalgamated content. So, right. the I mean, we talk about AR and VR and all that kind of stuff. Well. When we sit back and watch a newscast, and we now have to really start questioning what we're seeing now and what we're being spoken with and to, Um, the deep fakes are getting better. And it's not just on social media platforms on our phones, but now it's going to be in the sort of television news business for the first time. And that's when stuff gets really dangerous. So, you know, with all the cool and cost-efficient stuff that can come from AI in television and video and advertising, I worry about the going too far part of it as well. And I think we all have to be very careful not to go outside those guardrails, but you know it's inevitable, sadly.
0: Yeah, I think we definitely are in need of some legislation, some definite guardrails that say either I need a label when, when something is beyond real, I need a label for that so I can have informed consent, or we need some definite limits. But we're not there yet. Let's find out what happens. Tim, thanks so much.
2: Pleasure is mine. Thanks for asking me, Brendan. Always a pleasure.
0: Brad, welcome to the show. What did you notice at CES that you really enjoyed that you think is worth sharing?
3: So Brendan, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to see your face and talk with you. I thought generally CES 2024 had more light than heat. There wasn't a whole lot that was really blowing me away. Mm. Uh, The theme of this year's show was definitely AI. And it was it we're at a specific interesting point with AI. I think of this as the kind of AOL CompuServe prodigy phase of AI, where (laughs) there's a lot more AI coming. But we have this sort of walled garden specifically around ChatGPT. Yeah. Right. It's, I also think of it as the now serving espresso moment of AI, where mm. everybody is adding a little bit, a little sousson of ChatGPT to things, without there being interesting integrations you know, or, or really a deep transformative kind of AI. So the best example of this is Vuzix, which is there every year. Yeah. Uh, and now they have you know now serving espresso now with ChatGPT, and I'm not. I don't want to trivialize. I want to make fun of them a little bit, but but it's still it's definitely interesting to make more technology, more conversational. And ChatGPT is outstanding at that. But that's not a, you know, this changes everything moment. Yeah. uh, With with AI. And so the one that I think and it wasn't their first time at CES, but the thing that really uh, really made me stop in my tracks and just think, oh, wow, this really does change things was a company from the Shenzhen region of China called Time Kettle. And I think we were there together at one point. So Time Kettle, if you look for those of you in the viewing audience, I've got my uh, Apple AirPods in. Time Kettle has a bunch of different form factors, but one of them is air, earbuds that have real-time translation with all of the compute, which is not a phrase I really like, all of the computational power inside the devices themselves. So they have a thing with a phone app. They have a little thing that looks like one of those wireless speakers. They've got a lot of different things, but the idea that you could be walking around a country where you don't speak the language and someone could come up and talk with you and you would understand what they're saying that is remarkable. That's like the universal translator from Star Trek. It's like the Babelfish Fish mm-hmm. from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It, it also, because it's real now, it made me think. Wait a minute, how did that translator in Star Trek work? Because you know they're they're wearing something. Is it? Is there like a little speaker coming out of the, you know, the device? <laughs> They've never, they never, got, they never went into it. <laughs> Yeah, this it shows a, it's called an aporia in literary studies. There's this real gap but particularly for multinational teams, multilinguistic teams, for business collaboration, for diplomacy, for forms of travel, you still have to like read street signs in a language you don't know right but, but it really that is the thing that I thought just would free so many people up. Uh, particularly people who aren't terribly good at picking up languages. Right. And then the other thing that I'd want to sort of dig into, and then I do want to hear what you think of time kettle, uh, but CES is great for trends, right? We, this is the year of AI. We've had the year of 3d TV. We've had the year of 3d printing, mm-hmm. uh, and this particular trend about real-time translation accelerated almost immediately after CES, because last week Samsung announced a bunch of new AI smartphones, which feature real-time translation. So it's not Time Kettle so much itself as a company. Um, They don't, they had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions they couldn't answer, but it's this idea that language as a barrier to commerce, to discourse, to art, to business, uh, is going to vanish right. almost completely. That's the thing that I thought was the biggest deal this year, which for the people who manufacture TVs is is probably quite disappointing. But what did you think?
0: You touched on a lot, but <clears throat> what I thought was that my first question and challenge to the person at Shenzhen Time Kettle was, how is this different from what I'm already doing with my phone, with Google Translate mm-hmm. or any other app that does it? And her response actually broke, the barrier for me of really appreciation. And she said, well, when you do it with your phone, you have to center around the phone. I have to talk to the phone and then my guest has to talk to the phone with their device. I can keep this in my pocket or set it down within Bluetooth range. And now we can explore the environment. We don't have to keep coming back to this face-to-face geography with the device. And so I thought that was cool, but I still think their main value has to be in the software, otherwise, Where's the value? How come they can't just be hit over the head and usurped by the next provider doing the same thing? Is it, is it a protectable idea? And because you love science fiction so much and you bring it up, I would love to see the next phase or maybe two down the line being a contact lens or eyeglass component to this so that I can read those signs in the language that I don't speak. That'd be pretty cool.
3: Yeah, I uh, so in my novel, which was called Red Cross, uh, mm-hmm. which came out, Quite some time ago, I actually have as a pretty key component a retina casting contact lens. There we go. Which, which was uh, that was back. Ooh, that was a while ago. But yeah, I think that let's let's pull something out of that though, yeah. which is what we're talking about is the the increase in ambient computing mm-hmm. and the idea that no matter where you are, you have access to a digital assistant as long as you are within. Voice range that no matter where you are, you have access to an augmented reality overlay of information. So that you know, you've I mean, because in my world, life without name tags is just not fair. Because I, I produced so many shows for so many years that more people know me than mm. I know. And so people come up to me, Brad, and I'm like, <laughs> Hey, you, and right. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. I really, I'm dying for the arrow that points down at the person's head and says, Bradley, it's your mother. It's like, oh, (laughs) killer. Mom!
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) That's really good. Go back for one second to Vuzix, which, like you said, we've seen them every year at the show. And to me, they really kind of owned a territory for a while of augmented reality glasses and they chose a niche to do with the industrial solution we're for manufacturing these things are rugged and they give work instruction and they're not trying to be these immersive experience glasses i saw them take a step towards the entertainment side this year maybe it's smart right but now they have to compete with the tcls and the high senses and everyone else apple and xreal What, what do you think about their chances there and why do you like one versus the other
3: I don't like any of them because none of them yet, I mean, the dream is so powerful, which is to be, you know, I wear glasses uh, habitually, the dream to to have that access to information, but so many of them are so heavy, or, you know, you have to power, charge up the battery every 16 seconds. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, you know, we're just, the biggest thing that's really killing all of these technologies is batteries. Until Mm. we can have something very lightweight, Or have a a power source you know in your pocket um, it's it's not going to be compelling the 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 enterprise play google glass did this oh 10 15 years ago where they pivoted from a consumer play to an enterprise play it's exactly like what happens with self-driving cars where you know level four self-driving cars are cars that are entirely self-driving but within a specific geographical area like a campus right taking something and moving it into enterprise says we're going to limit all of the things we need to do to this controlled environment and then shazam look what we can do and they're right thinking about you know doctors or surgeons telehealth for augmented reality that use case is impossibly powerful um engineers uh, you know appliance fix-it guys um even in a kitchen, you know, to be able to know what the ingredients are, to have the recipe yep. that's gonna just be floating in front of you, those are all great. And they are orders of magnitude less complicated to program yep. than uh, a pair of glasses you're gonna wear everywhere from you know the bathroom to the, the football stadium and everywhere in between.
0: That's a great point, I'm glad you made it. There was a section of the floor dedicated to digital health. What did yeah. you see on that side? that made you take note and maybe jot a note down?
3: So digital health was the other super provocative area on the floor of CES this year. Mm-hmm. There were a bunch of things that I thought were really interesting and they all kind of build to a theme. So there was a sperm tester, and, right. and I, I understand this is a family podcast, so we're not gonna go into any of the <laughs> you can details. You do it. But <laughs> <laughs> taking... Taking a, an app and a piece of technology to replace an embarrassing and often expensive trip to the doctor, where a guy can figure out if uh, you know his little wiggly guys are wiggling uh, to right. the extent they need to, and if there's enough of them. Uh, There is some gender politics in there that I also like, which is altogether too often the woman reflexively gets the blame when a couple want to have a baby, a heterosexual couple that want to have a baby can't. Um, So this is a leveling of that playing field. There was a, uh, right next door to the sperm tester, there was a thing called the smart sound stethoscope. And this was an AI stethoscope that uh the patient could be anywhere in the world and have a little thing that looks like kind of like a hockey puck and hold it over her or his heart mm-hmm. and the doctor could say oh no a little to the left a little to the, okay breathe and and do a remote examination where the doctor could actually hear the heartbeat with all of the attending acoustics now my right this is very relevant to me my dad uh, is a retired cardiologist So I grew up as his guinea pig, you know, lying on the thing with an ultrasound and watching my heartbeat, (laughs) and and the idea that you could listen to someone's heart. He had international patients, and thirty years ago he had a patient in Panama. If he could have listened to that person's heartbeat from Los Angeles, that would have spared that person an expensive trip to Los Angeles. That's right. It would have, you know, and so and that also leads to one of the things that we're seeing with digital health which is moving from an inflection point basis to a continual monitoring basis uh, for people with diabetes instead of having to prick your finger five times a day there's a sensor that will monitor your blood sugar all the time uh, i have an elderly relative who wears an apple watch and it manages monitors excuse me his heart rate mm-hmm. so that that changes there there were other two other things two other exhibits in digital health that i thought were fascinating. Okay. The first was Blue Sky AI, which can monitor people's emotional state using a webcam. So, the technology, to sort of to your point uh, about back at Time Kettle, the technology is not that complicated. Right. Um, it's just a webcam that you stick in the cabin of a car, or like the webcam I'm looking into right now. And using their proprietary algorithm, they can see if a woman is depressed, is suffering from postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. They have an automobile execution where it can create microclimates so that everybody's comfortable in a car. But it's the capturing technology is really quite simple, just a webcam and a similar engagement just on the same floor was a thing called neurologics. And as with Time Kettle, they have a webcam and an algorithm that measures Blood rate, blood pressure it just this extraordinary uh, sort of quick scan of your health. I—I I just had you know labs done today, early this morning, and the idea that I might not have to have all of those things done um, by somebody sticking a needle in my arm it is great. And right. and also, although the phlebotomist did a great job, the other thing that was fascinating about Neurologics was the form factor that they had. It on the phone on a tablet, but they're building these magic mirrors where someone sits down. They call it a video selfie, which Mm -hmm. I thought was provocative but a bit silly. But but with the video selfie, you would sit there for thirty seconds. It would you know gazing soulfully into the mirror, adjusting your hair, and then it would you know grind and you'd hear see smoke pop out, and then magically it would come up with uh, you know a real indication of what your health is. Imagine putting those right next to the blood pressure cuff. Uh, You know, you stick your arm in every pharmacy uh, at the gym. Uh, As I mentioned to you before we started, I spent a few hours the other day digging my driveway out because it had turned into a gigantic sheet of ice in the winter storm. And there was a moment where I thought, oh, I'm about to have a heart attack because my heart was really going. Yep. Uh, and I, it would have been nice to have something uh, to look at uh, in order to find out that I wasn't gonna die. Right. Uh, and so, surprise, I didn't, but uh, spoiler alert. But- uh, <laughs> You had a busy uh, day. We, yeah, it's been, it's been <laughs> crazy. The, here's the thing that I think is important about digital health, the kind of the theme that you can pull out in general, which is disintermediation and distribution. Okay. It used to be, Uh, that in order to get your healthcare needs met, you would have to go somewhere, unless you were one of the lucky people who had a doctor who made house calls. But for the vast majority of people, you'd have to go to a doctor, go to a clinic. Uh, You'd have to see another person in order to get diagnostics done. What all of these things are doing are taking that geographical necessity away. So, that you can go elsewhere, you can have the equipment come to you, you can extend the reach of a doctor, you can replace a doctor. You know, nobody in digital health ever wants to use the D word, which is diagnostic, because right. that holds them to a higher standard. But just imagine I always like to think about colliding trends, and another trend that we can link to digital health into this, again, disintermediation and distribution would be drones. Like imagine if instead of having to go someplace, a drone shows up and drops something and you, you know, prick your finger, you do this, it straps some sensors to yourself. Uh, it, it really could change healthcare For people, Mm. uh, the biggest question, as is always the question in this country, is how do you pay for it? Who pays for it? How do you make it affordable for everybody as opposed to only rich people? But that's the big trend that I'm seeing uh, in digital health, which I think is very exciting. And I'm hoping that we see even more next year.